morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you all here this morning. Big warm welcome to you all. I see a posse of Emmons Greens. Welcome. Um, and to all our other visitors who I've not got names for, you're all very welcome to, to be here and to worship with us this morning. I'd like to start by uh, sharing with you a reading from, from the Psalms. This is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance around against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord is the central theme of our service this morning and we're going to start with the time of worship and we're going to sing those words now first of all with hymn uh, number 14 in the in the Christadelphian hymn book God is my strong salvation we pray that you will accept our offering to you now Lord we thank you for this beautiful day and we pray that you will uh, be with us as we as we think about your word and and the things that you have to speak to us this morning father please bless this time together be with us all in jesus name amen i don't know about you uh but the the human quality of patience uh feels like it's becoming more of a uh more obsolete i think in uh, in the modern society that we we live in in the age of the smartphone and the age of the smart everything, um, there is less and less need for us to wait for things. We can check anything on our phones from train times to Donald Trump's latest controversy whilst just walking to the station. We can now order a toaster, we can turn on the heating in our house whilst we sat on the bus coming home. And soon your fridge will probably be able to recognize when you're nearly out of butter and make sure that that goes on the next Tesco order. So you don't even have to think about it. 
The internet means today that we don't have to wait for things and we can literally get the world on demand. And that's great because obviously it uh, gives us so much more free time and makes our lives uh, so much more relaxed, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. That time that it frees up gets filled with other stuff and so we end up being more busy than we perhaps even were before. Our lives become like Heathrow Airport and they operate to 98, 99% capacity. But that, of course, gives us a problem because when the internet breaks, when we don't have phone signal, then we have no patience whatsoever and suddenly everything, like, everything feels like it's going in, into meltdown. Contrast the impatience of our busy, on-demand lives um, Contrast that with the qualities that are required of us as Christians. Both Paul and Peter exhort us to have forbearance, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit, uh, and perseverance. And those qualities, in amongst all the other fruits of the Spirit and, and other, other things, are often, under, often overlooked, sorry. Um, but they are so important to us, particularly when what we want and what we demand from our lives doesn't match up with what God's plan and purpose is for us. How many of you are waiting for God to act in your life? How many of you have decisions to make and are waiting for God to give you guidance? I suspect that's probably all of us. It certainly is for me. And we are certainly all waiting for the day when we will see the Lord Jesus face to face. If you are waiting for the announcements and the care news, by the way, they are coming. I've not forgotten about them, um, but they will follow later on in the service. Um, a few weeks ago, Pete spoke uh, of the example of Abraham's faith and how he waited for God to speak and to act in his life which actually, when you, when you read the Genesis record, is only on a handful of occasions if you think about how long Abraham lived. And I want to expand on that now and consider some more of God's people who waited for the Lord. They were strong, they took heart, and they waited for the Lord. We're going to look at the examples of a woman and two men. And in the case of the two men, they both ended up in pits. The first man in a pit that we're going to think about is someone that, if you've been following the, uh, the reading plan, we've been reading about him, we still are reading about him, and that's Joseph. Uh, and Ruth's going to come and read to us a few verses from Genesis chapter 37. Thank you, Ruth. Genesis 37, starting at verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he, went, so he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. 
So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take, them back, take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Thank you, Ruth. As we all know, or we probably all know, uh, being thrown into that pit uh, was, was just the start of Joseph's troubles, really. But let's just pause and think for a moment about what it must have actually felt like to be thrown into a pit. Um, the Bible specifically says that he was thrown. He wasn't let down gently on a rope. So it was a pretty violent thing that happened. And Joseph could have, probably did, break something. Um, and with no way to get out of there on his own, I'm sure he would have feared for his life, as, as I certainly would. I'm, I'm sure you would as well. But as the story of Joseph's life unfolds over the next few chapters in Genesis, we see some peaks in his experience, certainly, when he's uh, taken into Potiphar's house. He does well there. Um, but there are more pits along the way as he ends up in prison and is once again waiting for God to act. But even after all the things that happen to Joseph whilst he is still in Egypt, it's not until at least 22 years after he was sold as a slave that he was able to see how God was at work in his life. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 45 when he, reckons, when he reveals himself to his brothers. Verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, <clears throat> I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, 
there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. There is, I think, a key point to make in all of this uh, in terms of our lives. Uh, because in this case, Joseph was able to understand God's reasons for the things that he experienced. Now, that may be true of our own experience, but equally, there may be some things that happen to us that we will never understand the reasons for. It's in our nature as humans to want to know why things happen, and when we don't, it can cause us to stumble. But that is where faith, Uh, in the greater power of God, and I'm going to talk a bit more about this a bit later on, uh, but that's where faith in God comes in. Think about Job 38. God says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Joseph had the benefit of being able to to look back uh, and to see how things worked together in his life. But even he didn't know what the outcome was going to be when he was in the thick of his own trial. Because have a look, go back a few chapters and have a look at how he speaks to the butler when he's in prison. So Genesis chapter 40, uh, verse 14. This is after Joseph has interpreted the butler's dream and told him that he will be restored to, to Pharaoh's service. Verse 14. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Joseph, obviously, as you would be, was desperate to get out of this dungeon when he was in prison. He was an innocent man. He didn't deserve to be there. And so he, just like you or I, tried every opportunity that he had to get himself out. His desire was to be released immediately. But God's timing meant that he actually had to wait two more years to be released. And God's timing is key in our lives. Joseph had to be patient. He had to persevere. But the consequences uh, of God's timing and not Joseph's own, own demands, own wishes, they were felt right the way then through, through the ages of the, uh, of the children of Israel, right up to the time of our second man in a pit. So, anyone know who that might be? Jeremiah, yes. Let's fast forward uh, a few hundred, maybe a few thousand years to Jeremiah, the time of Jeremiah. Uh, now, Jeremiah, he's one of those characters who I've actually only got to know very recently, because um, when I was growing up, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah always seemed like a bit of a scary book to me. Um, but actually, when you read it in parallel with the historical records in, in Kings and in Chronicles, um, you then start to get a sense of the, of the desperate time in which, which Jeremiah lived. So before we dive into Jeremiah's pit, uh, let's, I just want to set the scene and the context um, for Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, was a prophet. He prophesied uh, to the, the very last kings of the kingdom of Judah. Uh, and so that means he was trying to get his message out to the very worst of the kings of Judah. He was from the land of Benjamin, 
but he then went to live in Jerusalem. And that's when the Babylonians then came and laid siege to the city. So Jeremiah is trapped in the city, in the siege, and with food running out. But as he is a prophet, um, King Zedekiah, who's the king at the time, he certainly likes to keep Jeremiah uh, close to him. Uh, And that's where we find Jeremiah now, at uh, the end of chapter 37. And Liz is going to come and read to us from Jeremiah, the last verse of chapter, uh, chapter 37, and through into chapter 38. Thank you, Liz. Jeremiah 37, starting at verse 21. King Zedekiah then gave orders for Jeremiah to be placed in the courtyard of the guard and given bread from the street of the bakers each day until all the bread in the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard. Shephatiah, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pashur, Jehukal, son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, son of Malchijah, heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people when he said, This is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. He will escape with his life. He will live. And this is what the Lord says. This city will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. Then the officials said to the king, This man shall be put to death. He's discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city, as well as all the people, by the things he's saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. He's in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah and put him into the cistern of Malchijah, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern, It had no water in it, only mud, and Jeremiah sank down into the mud. We're going to uh, consider Jeremiah's response to this little predicament shortly, but I think there's a lesson here as well in the attitude of the king's officials that I just want to pick up on. They had heard, as we've read, they'd heard a warning uh, that Jeremiah spoke from God. But that warning wasn't what they wanted to hear at all. Uh, And so because of that, they wanted to get rid of him. When we seek answers and guidance from God, we can't expect that answer uh, to be always what we want to hear. Even Jesus didn't get... uh, the answer that he wanted to one of his prayers, his prayer in the garden. Our own wants uh, and desires may ultimately make uh, things things worse, we don't know, and they may be, di- may be in direct conflict with the greater plan and purpose of God. Now that can obviously be hard for us individually, But again, this is where our faith and our trust will be tested and where it has to to stand firm. Jeremiah was punished because he gave uh, the people a message that they didn't want to hear. 
And so he ends up in, in this pit. And it says at the end of verse 6, it, it was a, a muddy pit. These cisterns were used to, to store water um, for the city. Um, and obviously they used all the water, so this particular one was dry, but they got very muddy. Um, Jeremiah, if you were to read further, was eventually rescued. But if he hadn't been rescued, he would have died either from drowning in the mud or from starvation. Remember, the city was under siege as well. And for the rescue, for his rescue, uh, he responds to God in praise. And we're going to jump, jump forward into Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 52. Now, it's, it's widely believed that Jeremiah is the writer of Lamentations. Verse 52 of chapter 3 says, Those who were my enemies without cause hunted me like a bird. They tried to end my life in a pit and threw stones at me. The waters closed over my head and I thought I was about to perish. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you and you said, Do not fear. Jeremiah's experiences during the siege of Jerusalem uh, and in the aftermath when a lot of the Israelites were taken captive to Babylon um, cause him a great distress. And that distress, uh, that's the subject of, of lamentations. But in this book, which is, which is an outpouring of one man's grief, there is a message of, of hope and a message that encourages patience with God. Jump back a few verses uh, in chapter 3, verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions ne never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the, God, for, sorry, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust, that there may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Those are such powerful and comforting words especially when they, they come bursting out of the picture of grief and distress that the rest of Lamentations uh, paints. God's compassions never fail. No one is cast off by the Lord forever. Therefore, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So there are examples of two men from the Old Testament that had to wait patiently for God. The final example that I want to share with you is uh, that of a woman, and she had to wait 12 years to be healed 
from an illness. Let's jump into the New Testament now uh, and look at Mark chapter 5. Verse 21 of Mark 5. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I want to start by making sure we understand as, as, as much as we can uh, about the suffering of this, of this woman. The first thing to say is that she had had this illness for 12 years, uh, now that's a long time, isn't it? Think about uh, where you were 12 years ago. Think about everything that you've done in that time since. Now imagine living with an all-consuming, crippling illness for, for that amount of time with seemingly no cure in sight. On top of that, she'd spent everything that she had on doctors who could do nothing for her. She was at absolute rock bottom uh, when we find her here in, in Mark, in the depths of despair, and with all of her hopes practically exhausted. But it's at that point, after 12 years of suffering, that she meets the Lord Jesus. I'll just reread verse, verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Perhaps you can sense her desperation in those verses. Uh, she knew that this was her last hope, and that if she didn't reach out to Jesus, that would be that. But in doing so, her reward is instant. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, at this point, perhaps she was hoping that she could just slip away, safe in the knowledge that all had been made well. But instead, she finds herself about to meet Jesus face to face. Uh, and just look at her response a few verses later, verse 32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet 
and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She was scared. She was scared that she'd done something wrong. Uh, Maybe Jesus would reject her for having stolen some of his power, possibly. And so it's with trembling and with fear that she went and she fell at the feet of her saviour. She is at this point then really brave because in front of the whole crowd and in front of Jesus, she tells, she tells her whole story. In this country, we never like to tell anyone when we have something wrong with us. But here she tells the whole crowd about her very personal illness and how the Lord Jesus has healed her. And of course, he doesn't rebuke her at all. Instead, he lifts her up as an example of faith, not just uh, for the people in the crowd at that moment, but for all of us here too. We are talking about her story 2,000 years after it happened. This woman waited 12 years for healing. And it was only when she came to Jesus and fell at his feet in faith that her suffering was taken away. We have come to Jesus now. Some of us may be in need uh, and are waiting for physical healing, like this woman. Some of us may be waiting for other things to happen in our lives. We're going to hear now about some of the members of our family who are waiting for healing at this moment. And I think Pete's got our, our care news and our pastoral prayer. Thanks, Pete. After we've prayed, then we're going to have another time of worship. Steve's double booked, which is why I'm doing this. Um, so thanks to Jan and Rosie for having prepared uh, these. Uh, so let me just go through um, some of the members of our family who need our prayers. Uh, John Downer was in uh, A&E due to pain earlier this week. As a result, his consultants put him in for a scan. He's able to move, but he's still in a lot of pain. And he and Ruth send, um, he and Ruth send their love to, to all. Um, he, I think John, with his age, his body is starting to deteriorate a little. I was just to pray for <clears throat> the couple that you have in that. Um, last uh, week, uh, it was um, another hearing in Sarisha's uh, appeal uh, to stay here. Um, it was technically just a kind of thing with lawyers arguing, really, um, not something that really considered his case at all. I find this process quite frustrating as the law does one thing and sort of ignores the personal effect uh, of what's going on. So um, the situation now is that we don't know what judge will end up hearing his case. Originally, the judge who had been scheduled to hear Suresh uh, was uh, considered to be quite a sympathetic judge. So uh, it, his hearing will be um, scheduled uh, in three or four weeks' time, uh, probably, um, but we don't yet know which judge it is. And I think the main thing that we could do with our prayers is to pray that the right judge is, is appointed to hear Surish's case. I think that's the, the thing that should be the focus of our prayers. And then um, well, let's hope that, uh, that things move in the right direction from there. And uh, please continue to pray for um, 
Sheila's brother's family, whose son Adam died uh, suddenly recently, and he's... It says Adam here. Adrian. Thank you, Sheila. Sorry about that. Pardon? Anyway, it, 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 yeah. Um, and his funeral's this week. When is, when is it, Andrew, Sheila? Wednesday. Right. Okay. So it's a, it's a week of funerals. I'm at my cousin's funeral on Friday, who, uh, who died after a, an extended illness. Uh, it was really good uh, for those at Coffee Morning to see Ian um, the day after he came home from hospital. Uh, and he's got a new set of carers, so we pray that they will prove reliable and helpful um, and that uh, Ian will be calm and okay with that because it's always a a bit of a challenge getting used to new carers for those in that kind of situation. So I pray it should be with Ian as well. Um, Gladys has been having problems with breathlessness. She had a home visit on Friday from a new team from Trafford General who tried to support people in their home. Uh, The young nurse was optimistic that he could help. And Pauline also continues to be very frail, sleeps a lot, but still loves seeing people if anybody has time to go and visit Pauline. Have we got anybody else that people would like us to remember in our prayer? I pray that you will bring all of these people who are suffering uh, close to our hearts as we bring them before you, Lord. There are lots of families that need comfort and strength and help in, um, as they come to terms with grief and loss. And there are a lot of people in physical pain, Lord, who need um, respite from their suffering, who need the, the best help that they can get and who need friends to gather around them and help them to do the things that they can't do. There are others who are weak or uh, suffering and there are people with chronic ongoing illnesses Uh, for whom, like the people we've been thinking about this morning in their pits, may not see a way out of that long-running thing that needs endurance and patience. And Lord, I recognise that we only learn patience and endurance through having to go through things that those virtues don't come to us magically but we recognise how hard it is sometimes to be be the sort of people that we we want to be Lord in order to please you we pray that through all of these things that on the surface may seem a disruption to our lives, that, Lord, what they may do is bring us nearer to you, to understand and know your love and compassion, and to see into your heart 
Shape us, Lord, to be people who give praise and honour and glory to you when things go well and when things go, in our eyes, not so well. You, Lord, know what each of us need and we pray you will touch every heart with strength, encouragement and compassion. We're going to spend some time uh, in, in worship again now. You can stay seated for these. Let's sing together first. Be still and know. Derek, please will you come and give thanks for the bread. Loving Heavenly Father, what a joy it has been to be here in this quiet place this morning, together, brothers and sisters, sharing our wonderful faith in you, Heavenly Father, and the Lord Jesus. To hear words of encouragement, reading from your word, and knowing full well how blessed we are to be a part of your wonderful plan and purpose to make this world purpose. It is so, so wonderful, Heavenly Father, and we're so thankful. And now we've come to the point where we remember the real purpose of our faith in you, Heavenly Father, in giving us our Lord Jesus Christ to die for us in such horrible circumstances, so, so wickedly betrayed at that point in time, and to suffer such degrading experience for us, Heavenly Father. And so this is where we say thank you. Thank you so very, very much for Jesus in our lives for his sacrifice and the fact that he's given us this challenge to remember him so regularly in our lives that we are ever, ever thankful. So, Heavenly Father, please accept our thanks for this time together, this love we share in Jesus. We thank you for this bread now, which represents his broken body. But we know and we are rejoicing in the fact that Jesus now reigns with you and is preparing to return to make this world perfect. So be with us now, Heavenly Father, as we remember Jesus. Amen. Charles is going to need our thanks for the wine. Lord Jesus, at just the right time in this world's history, your Father sent you into the world to bring hope and to bring light. At just the right time, you set your face towards Jerusalem 
knowing the destiny that awaited you. At just the right time, you went to a trial and gave no defense. And at just the right time, you took, off your, took up your cross and went to die. At just the right time, you appeared to those disciples and told them that you'd risen. And at just the right time, our hearts were open to your message. We committed to you in baptismal waters and you lifted us out of our pits. And Lord, at just the right time, you will return and we will see you face to face. Help us to wait on you, Lord. Amen. When we were uh, thinking about Joseph, I mentioned how there may be some things that happen to us or questions that we seek answers for that, that never come to us in, in our lives. And I briefly mentioned the importance of our faith. Uh, but what I want to do now is to just go, go back to that now as we, as, as we look forward. Um, and in Hebrews chapter 11 after lifting up the example of the faith of the patriarchs, the writer has these really, really encouraging words for us. I'm just going to read from Hebrews 11 and verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And God has not only prepared a city for them, but he has prepared a city for us. God's promises to the patriarchs are God's promises to us, and they have been sealed with what we have just remembered in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are still, of course, waiting for the day we will meet Jesus face to face, but we wait and we hope in confidence. I've got one final uh, reading to share with you, back, back to Psalms, and it's another Psalm of David. Psalm chapter 40 that follows on with this theme that we've been thinking about. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. There's another, another pit. Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. We're going to have a closing time of, of worship now. Uh, and then Steve's going to give us the announcement. So let's, let's sing together, first of all, uh, waiting here for you.